I'm Lige. I'm Kohana. And, and this, this is Boiled Over. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Boiled Over. It's been a minute since we've seen each other last, but I couldn't be more thrilled to be back on the mic. In the last year or so since releasing our previous episode, a lot has changed in both of our lives and the world as a whole. We don't have nearly as much free time as we did when we started this project, and have had to take a look at restructuring the format of the podcast to keep it sustainable. We pour so much love into each and every episode between the art, editing, finding musicians to feature, and so much more that at a certain point, it really did become too much to manage. Moving forward, there's going to be a few changes to the podcast so that Boiled Over can continue to show up regularly in your feed once more, but at its core, the mission statement of the podcast will always remain the same, to make animation as accessible as possible through interviewing independent animators about their work and practice. We firmly believe that skills and workflows should never be gatekept, and we want everyone to feel that there are no barriers or roadblocks between them and the kinds of stories that they want to tell. While things might look a little different around here, we think that it's much better to have a slightly boiled down, boiled over, rather than none at all. With all this being said, I'll now hand it over to Kohana. Kohana here. I'd love to start this off by first welcoming everybody back, and also letting you know that I will be taking a step back from boiled over. Meeting and getting to spend time with other animators is something that I always have and I always will cherish. And even though taking a step back was a really difficult call to make, I truthfully don't have the bandwidth for the podcast right now. And our lives look very different from when we first started working on this. But there are an infinite number of ways for animators to meet and talk and teach and commiserate. And with that being said, I am really excited about getting to redirect my time, hopefully, into organizing, but also attending in-person events in New York with and for other animators. Where, side note, both Lige and I are living now, so welcome back to Lige. I can't say it enough, but I I really have had such a wonderful time working on this project with Lige, and it's been such an unbelievable gift to get to chat together with so many animators that we've admired and fawned over for years. And I know that Lige has many more wonderful interviews lined up. So even though there'll be one less voice on here, I am still very much around and will forever be animating and may make an appearance here and there on the podcast. And also in this episode... So I will see you around. And with that, let's jump into our interview. We recorded this episode at the beginning of 2022, so keep in mind that the audio you're about to hear is a little old. This time, we sat down with someone whose work we truly can't get enough of, Ted Wigan. Ted is an animator and software developer who creates short films and the tools that he uses to make them. You may have seen his most recent film, Lizard Ladder, and the program he made to create it by the same name that automatically in-betweens frames. We're so excited to share the interview with you and hope that you enjoy listening as much as we did getting to speak with Ted. Um, I guess to start, Ted, would you mind telling us just a little bit about yourself and about the work that you make? Sure. Um, I make short films and software for animation. Um, yeah, I've been doing that for about 10 years along with 
doing compositing and motion graphics for commercials and a little bit of teaching. And um, yeah, that's, that's a, a good overview, I think. Perfect. Um, so I think just to start, um, we're definitely curious about the software that you work with and create. So many of your films have been the results of custom software you've built, like Lizard Ladder, which uses a program of the same name, or Rose Engine for your film Stella Nova. Um, so we were just wondering if you could talk with us about your approach to filmmaking and how this has all been for you. Yeah, well, I think um, in, in animation school, my teacher, Amy Kravitz, once remarked that for someone who is in animation school, I don't seem to like animating that much. <laughs> and I think what she was referring to is just like a general lack of enthusiasm for drawing in-betweens, you know? And um, I mean, one aspect of my approach to filmmaking is trying to distill out the things that I don't like, which is frankly most of it, and replacing them with activities that I that I do like and find expressive and uh, satisfying so trying to make ended up making software to, to the um, end of trying to um, create a process that was just as, as enjoyable and as expressive as possible so when I make a film it's it's not a grind and it hopefully it's a little more expressive than it might have been if I was like gr grinding through a bunch of activities that I don't enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's genius because I think <laughs> <laughs> everyone can relate to not really enjoying in-betweens. I know some people find it like a meditative process. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I, personally, yeah, I, I think it's truly genius to cut out the parts of animation that you don't enjoy. <laughs> Yeah. And are much more tedious just to get straight to the work and have this kind of um, like artistic flow going. Absolutely. And I feel like I definitely I think we'll be talking a lot about this later on. But I think there's also really something to be said for how much more intuitive the animation process becomes when, you know, like I, I have friends and, you know, non-animators that I've introduced Lizard Ladder to who love just like sort of it demystifies a lot of the the magic of animation like you realize like oh this is how something comes together like I can make something move in this way in a really like friendly playful way and it's just you know for for non-animators and animators alike I think it's just been so like moving in that way you know like it opens up something something new so I really I appreciate that a lot um but I guess while we're on the sort of topic of, of like software development, I'm curious to know if like when, when so the idea of like designing software began. So you mentioned you went to animation school. At what point did you start learning like how to design your own programs um, from the very beginning? Was it always sort of in the interest of using software to make films or to make like time-based media? Like how, how did that whole journey begin or what did it look like for you? I started learning um, programming after learning animation, but not long after. And 
I, it's so hard. It's kind of hard to remember why <laughs> I wanted to pick it up, but I think it was less about making short films and, and more about like real time graphics. Um, yeah, it, I think I, I was interested in making like music visualizers for friends and also just kind of, um, I think it was more about just like ha having, being able to do things with the computer, not necessarily make short films. Cause I mean, I hadn't ever made a short film yet. So I don't, I don't know, I wasn't, wasn't to that end. And I didn't really start using programming to make short films until after college, many years after I'd been doing both things separately. Yeah. But I, I, the process was, um, I just, um, just read a, read the manual for Max MSP for a long time. And then I think I spent a whole summer just hunkered down with it. Um, and then many years of just like fumbling with it for, you know, doing little, little projects for school and whatnot. Yeah. Gra very gradually got to the point where I felt like I could make, um, a standalone piece of software with it. Yeah, just going off of that, um, I know you mentioned Max MSP, but how do you actually go about creating the software? Um, and how long, like on average, would you say it takes to produce the software and then one of your films with it? Um, it always takes 10 times longer than I think it's going to. <laughs> um, it's very slow. Um, and the process is a lot of fun. Like it's, kind of trying to figure out how the software is supposed to work and then what I can and can't do and then revising it to to be something in between what I want it to be and what I can possibly hope to accomplish. Um, yeah, it's just a lot, of, a lot of time with my laptop. This time I tried to do most of it on paper before getting into it, but that's had mixed results. This time being with Blizzard Ladder? Uh, no, after that, yeah. Oh. Yeah, so still. something oh. you're working on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> still trying. It'll be a long time coming, but yeah, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun taking making. I make hundreds of, well, dozens of pages of notes on programming, and they're just very psycho. There's like diagrams, and but I I love doing that. I also love handwriting, mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> it's it's nice doing it on paper. Yeah, it sounds like it's it's an important part of the process, like having like like the the pre-production sort of all like written out. But speaking of, I'm kind of curious to hear as you're building like the software out, do you have like an idea for a film that you like want to make with it, like sort of already um, sort of bubbling and stewing away as it's still being, you know, built like the tools for this world, I guess, are still being built. Um what does it, what does that whole process look like? All uh, right. Yeah. It's like, um, I, I have almost no idea what the film is going to be while I'm making the software, no sense of the characters or the plot or anything ever. But, um, I really, I go into the software with an idea of how I want to work, uh, once it's done. And that's really what guides me through it most strongly, just sort of like, the fantasy of being able to make two drawings and have them just in between automatically or, um, yeah, just basically thinking about what it's going to feel like to 
the process of making the film once the software is done. Um, and then to a large extent, it's also that there's, you know, despite having spent so much time thinking about the functionality, I'm, there's always a period of discovery when the software is finished and it, I start to kind of figure out that it, you know, can and can't do certain things, or I might find that it does something that I didn't expect it to, and I'll, those will end up informing what the film comes. To a large extent, the films are just, um, they're based around what the software ends up able to do. And I only have so much anticipated in that regard whenever, whenever I finish a piece of software. I'm not sure exactly what kind of potential it has for a film. So I, I don't have much way of knowing what the film's gonna be before, yeah. Is the software always finished when you start the film or do you ever find that you're working on the film and you end up like tweaking the software a little bit as you're working to like do different things that you might wanna do as you're making the film? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's definitely like, I'll just get it to a very skeletal point where it's just barely functional and then usually start the film. Um, and then, yeah, I'll, I'll add features as, as need be um, and, and make, you know, things more user-friendly if, if I end up using them a lot, stuff like that. So doing the film is kind of like a test run, like test pilot of the software to an yeah, extent. Definitely. Like I, I always fall short of saying like, it's not really like, um, it's not really a demo of the software, you know, it's like the film is ultimately the, the art, you know, it's not really, it's not so much about the software as about the film, but uh, it is definitely like there, there's a give and take. The software does some things because the film needs it. And then the film is a certain way because the software allows. Yeah. I think um, just something that sort of came to mind as you were talking, but something that I just realized was a really interesting thing about your whole process is that with a lot of independent animators, I'm sure Lige can also attest, like when you're working on your own film and your own projects, all that matters is that you're able to understand all of like the notes of pre-production and like what you want to happen at like X point, like all of my like animatics are crazy and like scribbly and are nonsense. But as long as they sort of make sense to the person that's making it, like that's all, that's all you need. But all of the software you use is downloadable and is you know, free for everybody to use and to experiment and to play with. And I'm just wondering how that sort of factors into building out the software in the first place, like these ideas of like usability and like how like friendly the interface is, like what does that process look like of making it like, you know, a thing that makes sense for you to use for your own ends and purposes, and then thinking about how you can make it like this accessible tool for other people to also enjoy. Right, right. Wait, first let me speak to what you said. I, I like that because <laughs> it does happen in all types of animation where you just end up with these like, like a, a person, especially for independent filming, like the personal jargon, like the way you think of your shots. And I always think, especially with independent animation, that's like so fascinating, <laughs> should be explored more. Like, I'd love to see like, you know, I love seeing people's files and their, their file structure. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the margins of projects too. Like I, yeah, I love all of that is, is, is fascinating. Yeah, I wanna know what they call their characters and what their shot numbers are like. Anyway, um, 
final final master project 005 blob one blob two circle blob untitled yeah yeah but that's beautiful (laughs) um yeah i for making the software user friendly i have an interesting relationship with with releasing the software i feel because like i've always been a little bit conflicted because i made it for me for the you know, benefit of one particular film and I'm putting it online, you know, for people to use, but I feel like there's kind of a, you know, it doesn't do that much stuff, you know, and filmmakers have different voices and like, we'll come to it wanting it to do a certain thing that it, it doesn't do because it was basically just, you know, it was um, something I really fundamentally just made for myself. So it's always it's a weird line to walk, like putting the software out um, ostensibly for other people, but also feeling like you know a little bad because it's it's not necessarily for them. Like um, anyway, I, I try to get around that two ways: one, keeping it free, and also yeah, like I'll try to make the user interface nice, and that usually takes quite a bit of time after the software is done. Um, to like doll it up and make it so that other people can understand it. But as another, another part of the process, I absolutely love um, also like, you know, my own little user interface designs are a very rewarding process. I mean, yeah, that's definitely also one of my favorite things that you make all the software free to use for anyone to play around with. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm curious, like what, it's like seeing animations that other people have made with your software and if people send you stuff that they're making with your software and what that kind of uh, relationship and experience is like with it all. Um, As totally unexpected and so, so gratifying. Like I absolutely love it. (laughs) Um, And yeah, people have done that more so with lizard ladder than ever before. And I was very excited. Um, I think, maybe the other other ones were a little more esoteric and i think lizard ladder has a little bit more fun appeal so people have been playing with it but yeah there's been some really good ones like team tumult made a short film and used some of the glitchy effects really effectively and um alexander Lyard, who does the big milk screenings here in brooklyn did um did a like a 3d short film in which they used some of the lizard ladder graphics and i was just like yeah can't get enough of that so thank you to everybody who played with it i like always stoked to see it it's crazy it's been so fun to just even yeah just to play with it um i'm curious when it comes to like actually putting the entire project together do you use any other like applications to to composite like do you like after effects or premiere or anything to sort of like other, I guess, uh, like digital tools of animation that people do use to like composite with, or is it all just in in program in Lizard Ladder? Man, I wish it was. Like, there's like a romantic part of me that really wishes I'd somehow <laughs> done it all. But no, I'm a heavy After Effects user, and the films are heavily uh, processed in After Effects. Oh, interesting. In what sort of way? Oh well, well, for example, for the last one for Lizard Ladder. Um, the animation coming out of the Lizard Ladder software was um, 
every single shape, every line was exported from Lizard Ladder software differently and put together as layers in After Effects so that I could have minute control over if I'd made an if I made a mistake like in the order and a line appeared on top of another line and should have been behind them, I was able to do that. But yeah, I made sure that Hello. yeah, for the most part those are all, you know, possible for the end user using the software, but like um, yeah, they're all very, they're heavily After Effects, uh, After Effects up at the end. <laughs> gotcha. I know you mentioned that 3D film that also used um, Lizard Ladder um, yeah. and parts of it, but another thing that I just like love about that program is how that it creates this unique sense of depth that lives like kind of somewhere between the second and third dimension. Um, and I'm wondering if with this project and with your other projects, you ever have kind of like a aha moment or like if everything just kind of clicks together and you're like, this is totally it. This is what I want to be doing with this. Yeah, definitely like major period of discovery. And that's usually the most exciting part for me. I think you mentioned the uh, like sort of sometimes you can get kind of a 3D effect with Lizard Ladder if you do geometric shapes in a careful way. And like, that was a kind of, that was a surprise to me. Um, and um, yeah, it's that, that's something that came up after the software was done, playing with it and then being like, you know, delighted and surprised. There's been a few things like that. Like um, every time there's always something that surprises me. Um, and it's things like that, that are like freebies that are extra gratifying, you know, like, there's not a single 3D consideration in the entire software, like nothing uh, at all. It's 100% defiantly 2D. And then for it to somehow accidentally make these 3D looking images was uh, very thrilling. Yeah. Um, I don't, don't, you know, I'm sure someone could explain why, but I don't, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> How How do you feel like um, your approach to building and designing uh these programs has changed with each with each one if at all like do you feel like with each time what changes or or how does your your attitude to sort of building um these these programs shift um on a nerdy level like i get better at organizing and and that's been like a really very slow you know decade-long process was like starting to learn how to organize the so the code, but um, um, let's see. Yeah, it's hard to say it, like a, a particular trajectory as far as programming. Like, um, I think um, I've definitely sort of dialed in to an interest on the the hand drawn line as something I'm trying to maintain in the software, and um, it took me a while to figure that out. Uh, so I think Lizard Ladder is the best example so far of trying to um, preserve the um, evocativeness of hand-drawn lines in motion. I think, yeah, w with Tinker Yonder, I kind of discovered that I liked that. And then with Lizard Ladder, I was able to push that further. And I think that's still kind of still kind of carrying me at the moment, tr trying to... Um, capture the the feeling and hand-drawn lines in the computer and then 
extrapolate that through motion. Can you tell us anything about um, what you're currently working on? Sure. Without giving too much away, or if it's in very early stages, a, a sketch of what you're you're up to. It is. A, I mean, I'm working on. Um, you know, I, I I've made two of these hand drawn films in custom software, and I like the idea of making a third one um, to you know hopefully cap cap off that project. So yeah, I'm working with that. It's like pretty similar to Lizard Ladder, what I'm working on now, but I think it will do better for making interesting patterns and textures. And um, I'd like for it to be able to do fur and hair so I can make furry animals and cute things um, more so than Lizard Ladder, which was all, of course, just hard shapes. So I think um, those, I think they're cute. Thank you. <laughs> they're really sweet but fur and hair that's gonna look crazy i hope so yeah yeah like all with a hand-drawn feel um yeah that's what's up but give me uh 18 18 months to two years i think (laughs) (laughs) on your website i know you have a lot of great documentation about these programs and how to get started in them and play around with them um but was wondering for anyone who either wants to try their hand at software you've built or building their own software to kind of play around with, where would you recommend they get started? Right. Um, let's see. For trying my software, I recommend, yeah, just try it and then email me if it gives you problems. <laughs> um, but for building one's own, I find it, I find it hard to say because I, I think it would be you know, there's many different trajectories and perhaps many of them are wiser than the one I tried for building software. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can say, I think um, maybe the best way is to obviously like start really small and just think of tiny little experiments you could do. And I, I think another important thing is to acquiesce for a long time that you'll kind of have to do what the what the software designed to do, you know, you'll have to follow tutorials and and do things that have already been done for a while while learning programming before you can like uh, make your own thing, perhaps. Uh, I don't know. It it took a long time to learn. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's finding something that's appealing to you during that interim learning process as well, because you know, it could take a while to get enough bearings. And do you use Max MSP for all of your projects now or? Well, yeah, what is now. Max MSP for those of us who are not in the, not in the know? Um, right, right. Can you explain what it is or what it can help you do? Yeah, it's a lovely node-based programming language. And um, it is was originally designed for synthesizers and audio processing. So there's a lot of documentation and support for that. But there's also a very interesting like graphical component too, where you can do all sorts of uh, graphics. It does so much more than I do. Like I have a very niche corner of it that I like use for all of my stuff, but it can do so much stuff. 
And yeah, I've, I've loved it for years. Yeah. Do you um, ever use it for, you mentioned like synthesizers or that it's able to um, work with that, but could you talk maybe a little bit about the sound in, in some of your films or what like that process looks like, um, just like designing the soundscapes? Totally, yeah. I, I've only built one synthesizer in Max MSP, but I've used it to death in all of my films. And I love making film, um, making, making sound for my films. I, it's one of my favorite parts. I <laughs> uh, wouldn't give that up. Um, and uh, yeah, I use a couple of techniques heavily. One of them is called granular synthesis. That is where you just sort of chop up a sound clip into a million tiny pieces in a, a digital blender and then rearrange them. And I love it because it's, it's good for filmmaking in the sense that whatever clip you put into it, whatever sort of tone or tam timber of the um, source clip will sort of be maintained, whatever mood of it will be maintained, it'll sound completely different when it goes through granular synthesis. So I often will make my films and then lay out the whole soundtrack just with sound effects like a rain stick or an elephant and then run that whole thing through a granular synthesizer and voila, like you have an abstract sound track that sounds absolutely nothing like a rain stick or an elephant, but also in the same, by the same token, sounds exactly like a rain stick and an elephant. So it's a nice way to both have control and relinquish some of the control um, in order to get something that's perhaps more, more interesting than it, um, than just straight sound effects. Yeah. I think it's also kind of like this fun little Easter egg where you know what all the sounds are and like what they were originally and like to someone else they may sound completely abstract but you know like that's a rain stick that's an elephant um yeah. so on that note i was wondering if you ever work with sound designers at all or if that's just like a hundred percent you for all of your animations it's not no i worked with a my good friend miles who was um for my thesis film um and he did the sound design for that and i was so very grateful for that. But even though he um, he actually, he mixed the sound for two of my other films. And yeah, he's a very talented electro acoustics person. Um, and even if I did the sound, I owe everything I know about sound to him. So he effectively did all the sound. <laughs> this is maybe a bit, a bit of a pivot, but um... You know, in addition to like making your own films, working on the sound, building the software, you you also teach you it, like teach animation and motion graphics. Um, and I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about what what that has been like, and like maybe even for for yourself and your own practice and your own personal art practice, like how teaching has sort of helped or encouraged that, um, or what how it's affected affected you. Um, let's see. Yeah, teaching was big for me. Um, I taught for about three years and absolutely loved it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was huge. Like, uh, seeing 
the work students do and the approach that they take, um, especially for someone who hasn't been in school for like 10 years at this point, is like sort of like a like an ice bath and a hot shower at the same time. So I'm like, it's like it's really gratifying to see and and really inspiring to see the energy, but also like, dang, like <laughs> I just to be reminded of like the ferocity of of these young animators, you know? I don't know. I think like maybe this isn't the case for everyone, but I think you may find amongst your peers that like people kind of cool off after the crucible of art school, you know, like the heat isn't on in the same way for, for like pushing yourself creatively. And to be reminded of that is like both terrifying and, and rejuvenating. <laughs> um, where, I guess we didn't even go over, but where did you go to school and where have you taught? Um, I went to RISD in Rhode Island for animation and I transferred in. So I only did animation there to a enormous degree, like one trick pony didn't did nothing else. And that was very, um, very nice. And um, I was just, you know, very inspired by the students there. And um, I taught at RISD and also at Parsons. A slight, you know, another pivot. Um, but I happen to know that in addition to animation, you're also an extremely talented juggler and a force to be reckoned with when it comes to the devil sticks. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, <laughs> what are your other hobbies outside the world of animation? Um, and do they ever influence your artistic practice? Or do you like to keep those kind of worlds between, um, you know, your artistic practice and your hobbies or extracurriculars, if you will, separate? You both are some of the few people who are privy to my incredible devil sticking abilities. Thanks to <laughs> it, really is incredible. I <laughs> it's inspiring. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks to Amanda Bonhuda's picnic. Um, but um, yeah, my hobbies. Um, like people who know me in New York know I end up walking around Prospect Park a lot, looking at birds and. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Like, uh, I basically do these things to get away from animation. Like bird watching was a hobby I designed basically because it doesn't involve my hands, you know, like I had to have a hobby that would not make the carpal tunnel worse and bird watching fit the bill. So here we go. Let's go look at some birds and, <laughs> and walk around prospect park. Yeah. Beautiful. So yeah, I'd say actually, you know, to a large extent, my hobbies are diametrically opposed to animation by design because gotta, gotta rest. <laughs> no, I think that's incredibly smart and incredibly important. I'm also curious, what's the rarest bird that you've seen? Uh, you guys, uh, there's, um, uh, you know, I'm not like, I don't have a very impressive bird list, but... <laughs> There's uh, a bird called the summer summer tanager that I saw a couple times over the summer, and it's like it's a particular type of red that just isn't available anywhere else. It's like so vibrant, you know, as like 
someone who thinks a lot about computer screens, you know, there's like that image of like the, the color gamut and like your computer screen only shows so many. And there's a bunch that are like way out here. I think whatever this, wherever this summer tanager is on there, it's like way off on that side. That's the bird that was like, that, that made, makes the, makes the birding discord go nuts. In- <laughs> <laughs> That's a, it's a good bird. Um, but I guess as we're now talking about hobbies and the things we do to rest and take time away from animating and away from the work of it, um, I'm wondering if you can maybe speak to how, how do you deal with periods of time where you might feel creatively blocked? I don't know. Let's see. I mean, there's two ways it happens. One of them is just like depression (laughs) and the other is like overthinking it. Um, So I I feel like they're kind of two, two opposite ways. I think the solution is like listening to yourself and not to the extent you can, to the extent you're not on the deadline, like not, not pushing it. You know, I feel like the, the best ideas worth pursuing are ones that come naturally and feel inevitable. Like if you wake up one morning and you're like, well, this is the film that I have to make, you know, this is it. Then that's, that's what you should go for. Um, and I don't know, I don't know how to force it. I think to the extent it's not happening and people might be, um, you know, unable to find ideas. Yeah. Just like, try to try the best to be good to yourself in the meantime while you wait you know like um yeah like I said I mean there have been whole years where like I had so few ideas and so little idea of what I wanted to do that I wouldn't even consider myself an animator you know so um yeah I think it's like it's about being good to yourself and waiting especially for something as something like independent animation where in the best of situations there's you know it's a it's a matter of personal expression and ideally there's no you know no one pushing you to do it you know um then yeah it's best not to stress about it for in and of itself and, and just to to wait for the things to feel right i i think being kind to yourself is the most important thing um just because, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's just kind of just waiting and being patient um, and not pushing something or trying to pour from, you know, a cup that doesn't have anything in it. Um, I think like the biggest advice I would give myself, like going back to times when I've been, you know, stressed about not being able to think of anything, just like, yeah, just like relax. Ted, you're doing fine. <laughs> but yeah, so much wasted wasted anxiety for its own sake. Yeah. I guess to close to close out, if you could give one sort of piece of advice um, to aspiring animators or people hoping to stick with it, what would that look like? Um, let's see. To independent animators, 
I would say like dial in on dial in on what you like and sort of build a film that enables you not to worry about the things you don't like. Yeah. If you like, if you, or your strengths, you know, so usually they're one and the same, but yeah, if you don't like in-betweening, figure out a way to make a film that doesn't involve in-betweening. And if you really like doing Foley, like make a film that uh, involves lots of Foley. Yeah. Like um, it's, it's all about trying to make the process as pleasurable as possible so that you can do a thing that's going to take a great many, many hours. <laughs> yeah, Beautiful. I think that's perfect. Um, but yeah. We, yeah, we've been wanting to speak with you forever. So yeah. we're super happy that, um, you know, we finally got this chance. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I've been very excited, too. Cool. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Boiled Over. While it may just be me on the other side of the mic for now, I'm hoping that I can continue to give you more of the boiled over that you all know and love and have missed for the last year. I have a number of really exciting interviews lined up that I can't wait to share with you. And because it's just a team of one now, you're gonna be getting all the nitty gritty. Uncut episodes, raw audio, you name it, baby. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you all next time on Boiled Over.